Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Family with Family, a mindful discussion of wholesome fare. My name is Jackson Harper, and joining me, as always, for this discussion is my mother, Patricia Ann Stover Harper. Greetings and salutations. Hey, you did the whole thing that time. I did. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Also, uh, we should note we have we have a special guest on tonight. This is our first guest. Why don't you introduce our guest? We have with us uh, my mate of almost fifty years, as of next month, April twenty first, and this will be much later. But anyway, Michael Deward Harper, hey. Esquire. <laughs> okay, that's where also, we also Jackson's <laughs> father. Yes. So we got mom and dad. Yes. Yeah. So we say hello the same way. Howdy, y'all. It's a, it's a very, it's a traditional Southern greeting. So. But I'm a sometimes Yankee. I'm a Yankee. Well, sort of. I mean, <laughs> you've lived here longer than you ever lived there. This is true. So sometimes when I'm at work, I, you know, because I say howdy, y'all, when people come up to me at work and, and I think they think I'm saying, how are y'all? Because they are always like, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, how was y'all's day? It was good. We um, acquired a dog yesterday by adoption. Mm-hmm. And okay. he is a, supposed to be an Aussie doodle, but he's really tall and fluffy. Um, <laughs> We decided to, his name, he had another name, but we have decided to call him Murphy. Why Murphy? Murphy's a town about halfway between here and Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Where we met, where I grew up for the second half of childhood. So um, we we really like Murphy. And mm-hmm. frankly, we were struggling to find a name for the dog. <laughs> It can be a little, yeah, it can be a test sometimes because you got to find a name that you're not going to mind saying all the time. And, and we <laughs> like Murphy. He may end up be called, being called Murph. I don't know. <laughs> sort of sm- sounds like Smurf, but um, anyway. Well, it's also the idea of giving a dog a regular name and a nickname. <laughs> yeah, that's rough on the dog. Although, yeah, I mean, rough. I, I've done it too. Oh, goodness gracious. Here we go. <laughs> number one for the night okay sorry why don't you tell our listeners what we're talking about tonight okay we're talking about the movie babe babe is an a 20th century fairy tale t-a-i-l that's number two Mm -hmm. about a pig that was born to die but was raised to glory as a sheep dog or sheep pig and babe was made in 1995 and was yes. nominated for Best Picture and other Academy Awards. Yeah, several Oscars that year. Yes. So. Well, let's get this party started. Um, tell you what, let's do let's do something a little different than we've done the past couple times. Let's just go and like give your sort of vague general thoughts on the movie before we get into like the characters and the scenes and stuff like that. So I'm going to start with Dad because he's our guest. Vague so. general thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I really enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always liked it. 
it always brings a smile to my face every time I see it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the character development in it is pretty good, really. When you think about, it, you're talking about basically two humans that the majority of the cast, and then the rest are animals. Mm -hmm. But um, because your mom and I live on a farm, I guess we understand animals. Therefore, when you've added speech to them, we already know their backstory because. <laughs> You know, um, so, you know, I, as we develop, as we go on, I'll tell you more and more, but that's my few vague general thoughts. Okay. Mom? Well, uh, vague, any, any uh, movie about animals is always going to pique the interest to me because we've always loved animal pictures. Um, mm -hmm. And pigs are especially endearing. Um, not because they're eaten, but because they're cute <laughs> and they're, and um, her brothers told her that told when she was real small, she came no, from a pig farm. It, not me. My brother Chester used to tell Sue, my sister, that she was born on a pig farm. Okay. So, and I, I, it's really funny to me because when I was growing up, um, we used to go past a pig farm sometimes in New Jersey. And I, one time I said, Ooh, what was that smell? And mother told me it was a pig farm. And ever since that, I could smell a pig farm. Funny story, very quickly in back in the seventies, dad and I were out in Arizona in the middle of the desert. Okay. Mm -hmm. East of Phoenix. And we're driving along. We probably had our windows down and I went, I smell a pig farm. And your daddy <laughs> said, no way, not out here. And like just a couple minutes later, we passed a pig farm. <laughs> well, my only encounter as a pig with a pig farm oh. would have been when I was a kid and uh, I would go around to visit the Johnsons and they had a pig farm. And one day uh, they took us out there <laughs> And Terry was castrating the pigs. <laughs> so got to witness that. That was interesting. <laughs> that is not your only encounter with a pig. Okay. What are you talking about? <laughs> you wrote a song about it. Well, Tell I didn't write. That was not, that was not based. Oh, well, there's that. Yeah. That was not a. <laughs> That was not a pig farm, nor was the pig alive. Uh, we will not tell that story on this podcast because this is a family show. And I've already said the word castrating. So anyway, parents, you get to tell your kids what that means. Okay. <laughs> so our first official segment on this show, we like to call Character Counts. And this is where mom makes an exhaustive list of all the characters even the ones who don't really matter to the story. <laughs> you have to in this movie because there aren't very many characters. So, I mean, yeah, I guess, but. All right, but it's character counts. So we count in the characters. Okay, <laughs> number one, pig. You see him first. Um, he's pig to the farmer and babe to the barnyard. Farmer Hoggett, Arthur is his first name. Uh, Mrs. Hoggett. And her name is Esme, Ferdinand the Duck, 
fly the female sheepdog wrecks the male sheepdog ma a very old sheep duchess a cat the narrator played by roscoe lee brown the mm-hmm. hoggets family a horse a cow various hues a rooster and a few <laughs> other characters that will remain unnamed except for the puppies <laughs> well there are several puppies yeah, I know. I said I met, I named them. I didn't name those oh, other okay. characters. Okay. I see. Okay. So, um, I mean, let's just talk a little bit more detail about the characters. Obviously, Babe is the or Pig, if you want to call him that. It's the main character. Uh, that role was voiced by um, her name was Christine Cavanaugh who I found out actually passed away in 2014, but she was a very prolific voice actor. Uh, she did a lot of cartoon shows that I used to watch when I was a kid. She was on Darkwing Duck and Rugrats and Dexter's Laboratory, stuff like that. And uh, she she left the industry like over 20 years ago, spend time with her family or something like that. And then she died a few years ago. Uh, and then of course, the the wonderful James Cromwell as Farmer Arthur Hoggett. In a Oscar nominated, uh, Oscar nominated performance. So, do you have anything to say about either uh, the farmer or James Cromwell? Well, no one else could have paid this, played this role. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that a friend of mine went. Um, we were having lunch together, and a friend of mine the other day, a client, said that the uh, farmer Hoggett and his wife reminded him of the picture, the famous picture, American Gothic, which is a tall farmer and a short, pudgy farmer's wife. And <laughs> it is a I, bit like that. Yeah, I really think they cast him that way on purpose. I really do. It's very possible. I, oh, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be surprised, but, but he's yeah, brilliant a, in this. He is just a brilliant performance because he hardly says anything. You know, he tells the whole story with his face, uh, which is sort of, I mean, you could make an argument that that's an even purer form of acting. If you can do it without having much dialogue, because half his lines, he just goes, nothing. (laughs) Every time somebody asks him a question, what are you doing, Arthur? Nothing. (laughs) So. I do want to, I want to shout out, um, what's her name? Magda Zubansky that plays Esme Hoggett because Farmer Hoggett gets all the press in this movie, but she is doing some amazing work playing the opposite character. She's very, she's very up the whole time. (laughs) She's almost like a cartoon character just, but at the same time, you always believe that this is a person who exists. Yeah. You can, um, you can give a, a big shout out to the director here who, mm-hmm. who told them how to act. It's just brilliant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, this director has hardly, his name's Chris Noonan and he's hardly made any other films. Mm. He's just got a couple of credits. I don't know what else he's done in his career, but as a director, he's got this and I, oh, I can't even remember. Like there's one other movie that I'd heard of and then he's not done anything else. And you wonder why it's very strange. Uh, any other characters you want to sort of highlight a little bit, dad? Well, um, getting back to James Cromwell, the first time I ever 
saw him was in a uh, television show back in the 70s called Hotel Baltimore. And it was, uh, it took place in this hotel in Baltimore. And it was a comedy, Norman Lear, obviously, you can figure that mm-hmm. one out. And uh, he was the clerk. And there was all kinds of secondary stories going on in this hotel from, mm-hmm. you know, and it was uh, situation comedy. But anyway, uh, and it was amazing. I always thought he was English, but he was born in L.A. Yeah, he does have a very English bearing to him a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play English characters necessarily, but he he looks very English for one thing. <laughs> yeah. So but anyway, uh, and then another character that I like is is the duck. Ferdinand. Yeah, Ferdinand. He's very <laughs> frenetic. I mean, a lot of high energy here. I mean, uh-huh. he's trying to find his way in the world to become part of a world that doesn't get eaten. Yes, exactly. He wants so to be a rooster. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and roosters don't get eaten. And and so anyway, it's uh, I, I like that character. He does have, he has a couple of the funniest lines in the movie. My favorite being um, when they're about to eat Christmas dinner and he's like, Christmas means dinner. Dinner means death. Death means carnage. Christmas means carnage. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, when he's trying to convince Babe to undergo the stealing of the alarm clock, he, he, he says, we'll talk about that later. We'll yeah. talk about that later. I know that uh, I know that mom has some some thoughts on that scene. Mom, any characters? Uh, oh my goodness! Fer- Danny Mann, who played Ferdinand the Duck, is from Mobile, Alabama. Okay, there we go. He was also in Balto and Up. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, we should give a shout out to the narrator. He, he just does a wonderful job, and I don't. And yeah. Rosto Lee Brown, he does a wonderful job. I, I think yeah, he's got a beautiful casting, voice. Whoever did the casting did a very good job of the casting mm. of these characters. Of course, the most famous, maybe the most famous actor in the cast is Hugo Weaving. Yes. Uh, who voices Rex. And he was not famous when this movie came out. He didn't become famous until about four years later. No, The Matrix. Oh, The Matrix. Yes. The Matrix. He plays That's the right. main villain in The Matrix. And, you know, yeah. Mom, you would know him as the Red Skull from uh, Captain America, okay. the first Avenger. Yeah. yeah, he's the villain in that. He plays a lot of villains. Cool. Uh, but also very cool sounding voice, you know, deep Great and gravelly voice. and everything. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's move into our next segment then, uh, which I've decided we're going to we're going to. Uh, we're going to harken back to good old 90s DVDs, and we're going to call this Scene Selection. <laughs> okay. Remember the, the menu? So this is the idea of this is you put the DVD of this in, and you oh, gotta yeah. got to skip to your three favorite scenes of the movie. All right. <laughs> three, only two. Oh, yeah. We're just doing two this time. Normally, when it's just me and her, we do three. But since there's three of us, we're going to split the difference and do two okay. each yeah so uh dad <laughs> what uh is the first scene you would skip to on the dvd of this movie 
babe, uh, la la la, and jingle bells. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. putting his whole heart in it. There's a lot of energy in Babe. Uh, he's celebrate. He's in a celebratory mood, um, not knowing that that a grand debate is going on whether or not he's going to make it to the table or not. <laughs> um, and it and. And of course, being the pragmatist that I am, I'm going, who taught him jingle bells? (laughs) Well, I think it was the mice. Yeah. The mice are singing through the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. We don't ever see Babe interact with the mice, but you can imagine that he did. He probably has, he's probably talked to the mice. Eller, you're talking like it's real. And and I mean, the mice sing things that not necessarily uh, related to the movie. I mean, Blue Moon, what's that got to do with it? Yeah, I was wondering about that. I was trying to figure out if there's a significance to to th- that song, especially where it's located in the movie, because it takes place on like Christmas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're doing fireworks on Christmas, which is also sort of strange, but. That's right. Okay. And then the mice are just singing Blue Moon. I think this is the first time I ever heard that song. Was oh, in this really? Movie. I oh, think really? so, yeah. Oh, my. I think so. <laughs> wow. All right, Mom. Okay, my number one favorite scene is the alarm clock fiasco. So, yeah. Babe is the duck. The duck, who knows what the purpose of a duck is, is going to, his name is Ferdinand, and he is desperate to become a rooster so that he will have a purpose and he won't end up on the table for because the only purpose of a duck is to be eaten and so um he has been vying for the privilege of crowing like a rooster in the morning and it drives esme <laughs> hoggett crazy she goes out and buys an alarm clock she says we got to do something about that duck and she goes the next scene next time the, he crows um she says she's bought an alarm clock so um the duck comes up with this uh idea that the, the pig should go in and steal the alarm clock from their bedroom and bring it out and they'll hide it or destroy it so you see pig going in he agrees to do it because he has an unprejudiced heart and he'll do anything anybody asks him to um mm-hmm. And as soon as he goes in, you see all the paint that's in there because they're working on a dollhouse for their granddaughter for Christmas. You see cans of paint and a can of turpentine. The cat, uh, Duchess, is on the the rug in front of the fireplace and there's some yarn that is strewn out along the floor. And as soon as Pig is walking along, you realize he's going to get caught on the yarn and a disaster is going to happen. So the whole time you're in there and the the duck, Ferdinand, is outside watching this all unfold. And so from the very beginning of the scene, when duck pig goes in the house, you know what's going to happen eventually. And so the the fun of it is watching it unfold because he actually gets unstuck from the yarn and they, he gets upstairs and the duck comes inside and they get the alarm clock and on the way out. Duchess the cat wakes up and what you knew was going to happen happens. And Duchess all covered in paint and pig has 
all kinds of paint on him. Babe has all kinds of paint on him. And there's duck prints and pig prints all over the house. <laughs> and Farmer Hoggett and Esme come home and they barely recognize what's going on. And then it hits them that their whole house is a disaster. And it's pure fun watching the unfolding of what you know is going to happen for about five minutes. Yeah. It's a very good buildup of suspense. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. But what I was going to say earlier was the duck took Babe aside and said, I realized that the life of an anorexic duck doesn't mean too much in the grand scheme of things, but it's all I got. <laughs> yeah. And that's how he gets. That's the, a great line. That, that's how he gets the pig <laughs> to go in and steal the alarm clock. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Your turn. All right. I, I like, okay. I'm going to bring up a scene very near the beginning of the movie, which is, the very first meeting of Farmer Hoggett and Babe the Pig. Because Babe is born in this um, sort of pig breeding facility that supplies, you know, meat processing plants and stuff like that. He's the run of the litter, so he gets rejected. Um, and he gets donated to the Lions Club or something like that. And they're, they've got a booth at the county fair. Guess the way to the pig. And if you... You get the closest, you win the pig. So they see Farmer Hoggett passing by and they're like, Arthur, come over here and guess the pig. Of course, he's like, don't keep pigs. But he, he picks up the pig and the narrator chimes in and says, the pig and the farmer regarded each other. And for a fleeting moment, something passed between them. A faint sense of some common destiny. And it's funny because it, it, it's fanciful, but it's also very sweet. And it, of course, pays off by the end of the movie. They do share a common destiny. And there is a connection between them that maybe neither one of them fully understands. But I really like, I really like that element. It's, it's the stuff of good, uh, good fantasy storytelling or... Uh, children's storytelling, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I just love it. I think it's a wonderfully written line and uh, sweet. It's very sweet. And you, it makes you wonder what's going to happen at the beginning of the movie. And it makes you love the movie from the very beginning too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sets, it sets everything in motion. That's the tone. But I challenge you to tell me, the first incident of an unprejudiced heart. <laughs> oh, I think we're going to get into that a little bit later. She's, <laughs> she's making the hand motion. No, like, I want okay. you to guess. Oh, I thought I brought thought this we up were, today. I, he brought this up today and I thought it was really cool. Okay. Well, hmm. that can be your second favorite scene. Go. Yeah, go for it. This, the first time that you really see an unprejudiced heart is when the pig is delivered to the barn and it lays there and, you know, I, I want my mom. And Fly looks over the hay bale and goes over there and starts licking the, licking the thing and says, you know, um, you're going to be okay. I'm going to, mm -hmm. 
I'm going to be with you, you know, and uh, and then she jumps back over and tells Rex that the pig is low, uh, is feeling a little low, and I'm going to stay with the pig until he finds his feet. Mm -hmm. So that was the first act, actually, of an unprejudiced heart. I should add, uh, for the listener's sake, because we didn't actually bring this up earlier, but uh, we keep talking about an unprejudiced heart. That's the very first line of the movie. The narrator says. You want me to read it, or do you know the line? I mean, I know the first part, but yeah, go ahead and read it. Well, just the first sentence. This is a tale about an unprejudiced heart and how it changed our valley forever. But there's actually more than one unprejudiced heart. Yeah, and we can talk about that as we go along. Sure. So, so is that your, that's your next favorite scene? Yes, it was. Okay. All right. So, uh, Mom, what you got? I now? call it the encouragement dance. Mm -hmm. um, Pig has found out because of this nasty cat named Duchess um, that pigs, the only purpose of pigs is for the humans to eat them. That's mm -hmm. their purpose. And uh, Farmer Hoggett has already determined that he is going to show this pig as a sheepdog. But <laughs> Duchess comes in and she tells him that. And, and pig, the babe is so upset that he spends the night out in the rain and the cold and gets a cold. And Farmer Hoggett calls in the vet and he says the pig needs to eat and then you see Babe lying on a sofa, you know, trying to get well. And Farmer Hoggett puts music on and does a dance. And he is so whimsical. And the song is very endearing. And the mm -hmm. song is called If I Had Words. Mm -hmm. um, and I found out that it was actually a song from 1977 by Scott Fitzgerald, and he recorded it on a duet with somebody, I don't know, but he borrowed the tune from an 1886 um, symphony called uh, from by Camille St. Saints. I don't remember what it was called, but it was dedicated to the memory of a previous classical com composer named Franz Liszt. And the song's been recorded several times. Uh, but I don't have any memory of it in 1977, which if it had been popular in the U.S., I can't imagine that I wouldn't have heard it and loved it. But it's a beautiful yeah. song. And but he is just so funny. He's jumping up and kicking his feet and trying to get the pig better. And it's just <laughs> it's whimsical and it's sweet and it's just mm -hmm. funny. It's just so funny. Yeah. And uh, that's a song, I, I just always assumed that it was a song for this movie. So I didn't know that it had already existed, let alone for, well, the, the music goes back to the, what, the 1800s, you said? 1886. Yeah, so I had no idea. But when you listen to the score for this movie, like it's yeah. very, they keep weaving the song in and out through the orchestra. And so, yeah, it makes sense that uh, it would have a classical background to it. But this tall, lanky guy doing a dance in front of a pig, <laughs> in front yeah. of a fireplace, is just so funny. Mm -hmm. I would also recommend to our listeners, uh, if you want to hear a really good version of this song, go on your Apple or your Spotify 
and look up the version recorded by Joanna Wang. Uh, it's an excellent rendition of this tune. So, all right. So my next one, I am going to go, I'm going to go a little darker because I want to talk about the, the backstory of the dog Rex, which we haven't really talked about that character too much. Um, he's very mean. He's, he's, well, maybe not. No, he's mean. He's not cruel. I was about to say cruel, but no, he's just mean. He's, he's angry all the time and he's very dismissive of all the other animals that aren't the dogs, that sort of thing. Um, and particularly towards Babe, once Farmer Hoggett starts training Babe to be a sheep pig. And one day they're coming back from the fields and, and Babe is asking Fly, you know, what's the matter with Rex? Why is he so angry all the time? And she finally tells him this story about how there was a flood in the valley several years before. And some of the sheep from the flock got separated. And so Farmer Hoggett was rounding up the other sheep. Rex went to look for the lost one. And he found them uh, trapped by the water. And he tried to get them to come across to him and they wouldn't do it because as Fly said, they were too stupid, which I think that's a bit unfair on Fly's part. We'll talk about that maybe in a little bit. Um, but Rex stays with the sheep all night and they find him the next morning and he's almost dead and he's lost almost all of his hearing. And it's, it's really, it, it gives you a lot of perspective on this character that, up to this point, you've only seen as being kind of mean in that he's somebody that really cares about the farmer and he cares about, he doesn't care about the sheep, but he cares about what the sheep mean to the farmer. Mm -hmm. And Rex gets his redemption later. And I, I think we're going to do a little bonus round here because I do want to talk about the ending of this movie because it's it almost a perfect, no, I'm not going to say almost. It's a perfect climax to a story. It is. Um, the, the, sheep the sheepdog trials. So well, One of the things that you left out, Seth, um, is it was just a few days before the national sheepdog yes. trials and Rex was going to be the grand champion. You do you realize what the name Rex means, don't you? King. Yeah. Yeah, King. Yeah. Which... And, describes his personality and of course flies telling the story but she said rex was going to be the grand champion mm -hmm. yeah the champion of champions yeah i think what she said yeah, yeah. that's what she said yeah um but he couldn't hear the commands mm -hmm. because of the stupid sheep <laughs> okay so let's let's do this little bonus round, you know, just talk about this this final sequence of of the sheepdog trials. Do y'all have anything you want to say about them before, you know, we get into it? Well, um, part of it is, again, one of the things that I I uh, identify with with Arthur Hoggett is that he is extremely observant. Mm hmm. I mean, he saw little subtleties that led him to believe that this pig had an inerrant value as a sheep pig. He could mm -hmm. separate. He separated chickens. He mm -hmm. heard 
wrestlers and he talked and he saw the dogs talking to the pig. And then at the sheep dog trials, he saw Rex and Fly talking. Well, they were in communication, not talking. I mean, he didn't know they were talking. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Rex leaves. And so, yeah. you know, he's that's part of his observation. Mom, you got any thoughts on the, the You mean about the final sequence? Well, yeah. I mean, Farmer Hoggett obviously has an unprejudiced heart because he is not prejudiced about the pig. And he is willing to suffer hum humiliation from the judges at the sheep pig trial, the sheep dog trials to enter this pig. And he's, mm -hmm. he's done his research and he's... <laughs> He's just um, not going to be denied to show what this pig can do. And it's, yeah. just, it's just funny. It's his. Well, it's another little moment that I really like is when he's filling out the application for the oh, trial. You're the narrator says, it's like, Farmer Hoggett, who was a truthful man, was afraid that the <laughs> form would say name of dog. <laughs> but it doesn't. It says name of entry. So... He so has no problem because <laughs> he's not telling a lie. <laughs> right. He's so, very honest. <laughs> I really love this whole thing. I love how, well, first he's got to go in to the judges and uh, plead his case because there's no rule against having a pig as your contestant. So the judges let it, let it slip, but uh he goes out there and you've got this whole crowd full of people, which, you know, we didn't grow up in a place where there were sheepdog trials. So I don't know, but I imagine it's real in some places. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. And, you know, these huge competitions, this whole stands full of people. And as soon as they see that pig, they're just howling and laughing and shouting, you know, sarcastic remarks, things like that. And then, the announcers are making jokes. Oh, the, the yeah, the announcers yeah, are even next, getting next on year. It. We're gonna have uh, you know whatever. I mean, kangaroo yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but Farmer Hoggett is so competent in the abilities of this pig that he just lets mm -hmm. it go fly right, fly right over his head. Yeah, yeah. And there are sheep dog trials because we went to a county fair in. Aberfeldy, Scotland, and they did okay. sheep competition. They so they do. They do have it still. Yeah. Still. Yeah. But as soon as as soon as Babe, well, for one thing, he, he has to learn the secret password from from the sheep. Rex has to go get the secret password. So the uh, sheep at the trial will listen to Babe because they're not his sheep. So they don't know. They don't know him from any of the other dogs. Uh, but once he gets the password from Rex, he just gets them all to just file neatly into into rows and walk around the courts. And you just see Farmer Hoggett, you know, all the other sheepdog trainers, they're they're calling out commands and everything. Farmer Hoggett's just standing there with his cane. <laughs> and there's that wonderful shot where you just see the sheep just walking behind him, and he's just standing there calmly. <laughs> I and don't you get know all how these, he did it with a straight face. Yeah, you get all these cutaways to his wife, who his wife at this point, she's gone off to some sort of convention or something with the other farmer's wives. 
and they're staying in a hotel and they're watching this on TV. And Esme is just, <laughs> she's humiliated. And she's trying to distract them. She's trying to get them to play cards. And, and <laughs> then she starts, she's like screaming and she passes out at one point. And then, but as soon as Babe starts walking the pigs through the course, everyone in the crowd falls silent. And there's no music. It's just this wonderful scene that plays out in complete silence because no one knows what to do with this, what they're seeing. And even the announcers are speechless. Yeah, they're, they're they, they have nothing to say. Yeah, you see them <laughs> up in the thing, and they're just up, 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 up. Yeah, yeah. It's and the then it's the of irony. It is. How? Oh, because they're, that's their one job is to, yeah. to announce. It's just ironic that it, no, the epitome of irony that a pig is leading sheep through the dog trials. Okay. How is that irony? I don't get how that's irony. Who, who would expect a pig to be able to herd sheep? Okay. Is that guess, not irony? Uh, Maybe yeah, I used the wrong word. Stretching it. Sorry. Yeah, irony that's not is how the announcers who's paid to announce silent. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought you meant by the epitome. Well, that irony. too. That too. <laughs> Nobody anyway, can say anything. The, there's no cheering. There's no. There's nothing. It's just yeah, silent. And it all culminates with this beautiful shot where uh, he's rounded them into the final pin, and Farmer Hoggett puts his hand on the gate and just slowly, slowly closes it. And you just yep. hear the gate go click, and everybody <laughs> loses it. Oh, it's, <laughs> and it's almost like it's in. It is in slow motion, isn't it? The last part of it. I don't know if it's in slow motion or if he's just slowly closing the gate. No, I'm talking um, about when the sheep are walking behind him, and it's just all. Sweet. No, no, it's not in okay. slow motion. Okay, it's well, just, I was thinking it was a little slow. They were going slow. Yeah. They weren't walking real fast. They're sheep. They're not fast animals to begin. This is with. true. This is true. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, it lasts um, several minutes and or a couple of minutes, and it just you just don't tire of it, even yeah. though no sound. But yeah, as soon as that gate clicks shut, everybody stands up and cheers, and then you just have this wonderful final scene of the farmer and the pig standing next to each other, and and the narrator says, I can't remember the exact quote, but he says, you know. And Farmer Hoggett, who had said less than anybody in his whole life, knew exactly what to say. And what does he say? That'll do, pig. That'll <laughs> do. <laughs> Which is a wonderful bookend because it's the first thing he says to the pig yeah. when they meet at the fair. You know, Babe's sitting in a little box and Farmer Hoggett, like, pets him and says, that'll do, pig. So it's got a nice like narrative symmetry to it mm -hmm. all right well i think that can get us into our uh our next segment which we are calling lessons learned i need to make little drops for these where it's just me uh speaking in sort of a stentorian voice being like lessons learned <laughs> <laughs> echo okay. and stuff on it i don't know maybe i'll do that probably not um but yeah, this is the part of the show where we just sort of talk a little bit about what this film makes us think about on a, on a deeper level. 
um, themes and resonances, things like that. So anybody want to go first? Dad? Oh, everybody looking at me. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I, uh, I believe that, that I have an unprejudiced heart for the most part. I can't say that I'm unprejudiced on everything, but I am, um, because of what I did for a living, I had to go in and in an extremely short period of time, I had to uh, receive the trust of a patient who was going to allow me to put them to sleep and keep them asleep for sometimes hours and hours, and then wake them up at the end. And I did the I did that to the best of my ability. I did not cut any corners for class, you know, uh, race, ethics, politics, uh, gender ideology, none of that. Um, so I think that gave me an unprejudiced heart in terms of how I relate to my fellow man. And now that I am the chaplain over the sheriff's department, which has the eighth largest detention center in the state, and I go in on Thursday nights, I relate to those men, man to man. Um, and I don't care what their crime was, where they're from, what color they are. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I just sit there and listen to them and relate to them the love of Christ. And um, again, it, it's a measure of an unprejudiced heart. Very good. And it's true. As far as me, I, I guess I go back to uh, when I was bringing up children. Um, I hope that I taught my kids to not judge by judge a book by its cover and and not be unkind to the other kids in school. That's what I was taught when I was growing up. And I didn't always meet that um, as a, a student, but I hope I taught my kids that, and you can attest to that more than mm -hmm. I can. But um, it's a really great story about not judging a book by its cover or a, a person by his skin. And I like that. But what I mostly see about the movie is just pure fun. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's I think that this movie is is mostly about just its wonderful storytelling. And I don't think it's really trying to get any place particularly deep. But one thing it makes me think about is, you know, a lot of times uh, society, the world, whatever you want to call it, will will see a person and based on, you know, the situation they were born into, uh, you know, who their parents are, they'll say, well, that, that, that's this kind of person. And I mean, I, yeah, that's I, that's prejudice. But I think what we have learned over and over again and still have to keep learning, sadly, is that people you know, a lot of times someone's born into a certain situation, it doesn't define who they are the rest of their life. Uh, what defines somebody 
is is what they do, how they act, how they treat other people, how they think. I think that, um, you know, Babe is somebody, the pig, he's somebody that uh, approaches things in a different way. He he learns from from Rex and Fly a certain way they have to approach the sheep. That's how we, we do things. That's how it's always been. And that's how it's done. And what we learn from Babe is that there's another way to do it. And it's a better way. It's not one that creates a different problem because, you know, the sheep all call all the dogs wolves because that's what they are to them. And the, the dogs think the sheep are stupid and Babe doesn't see, he doesn't see either side because he loves the dogs and he loves the sheep. And I think that, you know, there are plenty of examples in history. The one that I think of, you know, somebody that was born into dire circumstances that managed to, to rise above and, and be an example of a different way of thinking. I, I think of Frederick Douglass, just because that's on my mind, not because of anything specific about this movie, but because the other day, a coworker had a book with her and I was like, what's the book? And it was the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, which I read in college. And it's a great read. If you ever get a chance, uh, very harrowing, but very, very well-written. Um, but you know, that's somebody that was somebody who had a brilliant mind and a good heart and was born into this situation that, that dictated, you know, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Of course it wasn't. He, he rose to, to great prominence and, and helped to change the way things were done in this country. I mean, obviously, <laughs> we're not all the way there yet with a lot of circumstances, but, but a lot of it, you know, goes back to him and other people like him. I think it's, it's a lesson that we all need to learn that just because somebody comes from a certain group or is born into, I don't know, poverty or whatever, doesn't mean they don't have anything to contribute. Sometimes they have the most to contribute. Amen. Because they see things a different way. And those are the people that, you know, that, that can change others. Because that's the whole thing about Babe in this movie is he doesn't change. And of course, that, that's the whole thing. Like, obviously, we as people, we all have changes that we need to make in ourselves. But when you're telling a story, sometimes it's really interesting to see a character who doesn't change themselves, but affects change in everybody around them. And, and you know, I think so. I think, I think that's a, I think that, that this movie gets at that. It's not really what the movie's about. We might be reading into it a little bit. But, you know, I think uh, Chris Noonan and, and George Miller, they're astute enough. They know what they're doing when they make a movie like this. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. Anybody else got any other thoughts on it? No, that was well said. Mm -hmm. I, think okay. I cannot add to that. It's beautiful. All right. Well, we have one more segment that we do on this show. Yes. It's called the Fwith Scale. <laughs> Stolen from the Fear of God podcast. Like I said, one of these days I'm going to stop crediting them and that's how we know we've arrived because <laughs> it's just become its own thing. Anyway, but this is the metric that we use and uh, mom, I'm going to get you to crunch the numbers again. In fact, that's your, that's your job from now on. I don't want to do this part. 
because I don't oh. like calculators or numbers. Okay. Um, anyway, we rate, uh, it's a two-pronged scale. We rate the movies we discuss on a fun scale, meaning entertainment value, pure enjoyment, maybe aesthetics, you know, style, that sort of thing. And uh, then the feelings scale, which is more about thematic and emotional resonance, you know, depth of themes, that sort of thing. So I will go to you first, Dad. What would you give this movie, one to 10, on the fun scale? Oh, I love this movie. I'm going to give it a 10. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, son, we have ridden together many times. And, you know, I've always loved looking at farmland and how mm -hmm. people take care of their land. And there's some beautiful farmland in this uh, in this picture, which is fun for me to look at. Mm -hmm. Their their house is almost uh, fairy tale like something. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, the barn is a, an old world traditional looking with the thatched roof, um, and of course, then talking animals. I mean, you know, um, so I like it. 10. Yeah, who doesn't love a talking animal movie? I, they're almost always at least watchable. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mom, fun? I give it a 10 because it's just so much fun to watch. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a 10 as well. I, well that one's one of those. 10. Yeah, I think, that, I think that when I was a kid, you know, we went to see this movie when I, I would have been 12 when this came out. And I remember going to see it. And I remember coming out of the movie and y'all were both pretty over the moon about it. And I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, now I'm 40 years old and I totally get it. It's, it's a delight to watch uh, just everything from the, the, the special effects, you know, the, they use a combination of real animals and uh, puppets and, there are some there's some CGI, you know, especially on their mouths when they're talking and uh, it's shot really well. Great performances, great music. Yeah. So, yeah, 10. So when you were 20, when you were 12, I was uh, 41. <laughs> well, there we go. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so second part of the scale feelings, dad. Uh, well, uh, I. I'll give it a nine because it invokes every emotion. You go from the dark, dark institutional place in the beginning, which could bring you down. I mean, in terms of your feelings until, you know, you see the triumph of the duck <laughs> getting on the rooftop and, you know, uh, and then you see babe uh, at a low time and you see babe at a medium time and you see babe at, you know, Zenith, I mean, when he conquers the sheepdog trials. Um, you also see the, the um, you know, you, you have empathy toward Rex um, because of his loss. But you also enjoy all the little puppies. I mean, who can't like puppies running around going, hey, what's this? You know? So I give it a nine. <laughs> I give, right. I give it a seven because 
I'm just delighted for the whole movie, even though there's some dark parts in it, you know, and they're not very dark. I'm just delighted for the whole movie. So there's not a lot of, you know, up and down for me. So seven. Uh huh. I am going to split the difference between y'all and give it an eight. And maybe part of it is what I bring to it. Maybe. Uh, but this is definitely a movie that hits me somewhere in my heart. Um, you know, there are scenes that make me tear up, uh, particularly between the, the, the farmer and the pig. Uh, some of the other character dynamics I really love. We didn't talk about this, but when, when uh, Babe is sick and right before Farmer Hoggett comes in to sing the song and do the dance and stuff, Rex comes in and says to Babe, you have to get well. The master needs you. You're the only chance he has. Yeah, the boss, and then he starts. He starts to lick Babe's face. I think it's a really beautiful, mm-hmm. sort of redemptive moment. So mm-hmm. that kind of stuff really gets to me. And part of it is what I was talking about earlier: um, the idea that your that your birth status doesn't determine your worth as a your birth does not determine your worth. That sound like <laughs> so, that's a that's a horrible like slogan for something. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm gonna give it an eight. Which so. is where we end up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Okay, but what when you add all the scores together? You mean and divide by six? Yeah, the cumulative the, oh. score. Yeah, what's the oh. cumulative? I cannot say that word. Cumulative. That's a really hard word. (laughs) She's doing the calculations right now. (laughs) I'm going to keep talking just so there's no silence. You get a nine. You get nine. 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 (laughs) You want to say nine one more time? Nine. (laughs) You told me to. Yeah, you're the boss. Well, I uh, <laughs> am I. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this has been taken away from me already. Okay, I oh, what were you gonna say? I thank you for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, there's one final question we like to answer here, and uh, so if uh, parents were going to show this to their kids, like what's what's kind of the age that that you would recommend showing it to your kids? I think kids of all ages. I mean, you know, from like older older toddler, although a small child might, they won't understand it, but they might get a lot excited about the animals talking. Yeah, sure. A smaller child, you know, three or four, 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 I guess. Yeah. You know, there's nothing. They they might get bored. I don't know. Nothing. It's been a long time since I had a toddler. Nothing offensive to no, anyone. There's nothing offensive so in the movie. One kids one to ninety two. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that wraps it up for this movie. Um, any final thoughts before we before we sign off? No, it was it was great. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. Well, next time. Uh, we are doing one of mom's picks because as we've established, I do the odds. She does the even. This was my pick. So next time we are going to be discussing, I believe, 1987's 
Rob Reiner film, The Princess Bride, which so are you I haven't surprised watched I would pick The Princess Bride? I was a little surprised because yeah. this was not a movie that I, I don't feel like we grew up with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, did you pick it? Well, you were only four years old in 1987. There's no way I would have shown you that movie. I mean, I didn't even watch it in 1987. I didn't yeah. watch it till I was, you were grown practically, I don't guess. Maybe well, we can talk about from the house. Time, but, Do what? But we can talk about this next time with our history yeah. of watching the movie. But yeah, I was, I was a little surprised you picked it. But anyway, so get ready for uh, some sword fights and a uh, battle of wits. And also some kissing because it is a kissing story. <laughs> this is true. This is true. All right. Well, you can find this podcast uh, on Apple or Spotify or hopefully any other place you get podcasts from. I mean, you know, if you found it now, you know where to find it. Uh, <laughs> leave us a rating, leave us a review that helps podcasts like this get heard by people. And uh, until next time, that'll do, pig. That'll do. All right. Good night. Good night.